Welcome to Justice Losers. I just got a text. Pulled me out of the zone. All right. Damn it. Let's try this again. Welcome to Justice. Oh God, it really ruined my mojo. Messed it up. Yeah, welcome to Justice Leaves' podcast. Where we talk about pop culture medium, namely movies, TVs, and comics. Oh God, it's <laughs> slipping. <laughs> Actually, did fuck it up. Uh, I'm your host, Preston. Joined as always by my delightful co-host. Love how long it took you to remember your name there, and I'm stalling for time while I try to remember mine. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I can't remember if there was like a thing between movies, TVs, and comics. Uh, okay uh, like sure, that text sure le- did. that text legitimately like actually pulled me out of it <laughs> hope it was important dang it now it was it not because then it's gonna like stop recording i'm batmap by the way <laughs> uh, <laughs> matt what should people do uh like subscribe and tell a friend god no no i can still say that uh check out our twitter we don't do anything there yeah no tell hang, here we go tell a friend to go like to go like us on Twitter. There you go. You like things on Twitter, right? Probably. No, you don't. I d- you follow people and then you favorite things. All There's right. no such thing as liking on Twitter. Okay, I failed the social media quiz. You're the worst. Yep, this is true. Uh, Matt, what have you been up to? Um, I've got a lot. Okay, I also have a few. Um, let's see. Uh, I read some comics. I'll start with that. I guess. <gasps> oh, I know. Crazy, right? Um, I read the first volume of the Living Weapon run of Iron Fist. Cool. Uh, which was kind of interesting because that new season is coming out in like three weeks. And I wanted to get a little bit of background grounding mm-hmm. in the comics before that happens. And so I read the first volume of that and I was hoping to read the second volume of that. But Amazon's two day shipping is taking five days for whatever reason on the second volume. Huh. So, don't know what's up with that. Uh, first volume is pretty good. It's kind of I would, weird. Do you have the tracking on it? Yep. Do, where does it say it is? Is it, it like just a, it just ships today? Oh, okay. I didn't know because sometimes I've had something get lost in the mail that wasn't the mm-hmm. wasn't Amazon's fault. No, like but they I like ordered immediately it. were just like, "Here's a new one." Yeah. Like, no, I ordered it and they were like, "Yeah, it's going to be here on Wednesday." Oh, okay. I ordered it on Thursday. That's disappointing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's it's pretty good. It's the the really interesting thing about it is that it's just one guy that like wrote, did the art, oh, everything. Okay. Yeah. So it's like a singular singular view, which right. can be very good. It is or a, okay. It's an uncompromising vision. I'll say that. I didn't mm-hmm. love it, but um, I, it's definitely well put together. Uh. It feels like it could have used a little bit of creative control in places. Okay. Um, not to criticize too harshly, but there's some decisions that don't seem to jive necessarily, and it feels like those are sort of the rough edges that would have been smoothed out with mm-hmm. a collaborative creative process. Okay. Um, but it's it's an interesting story. At least it's uh, sort of... Danny Rand is back and he's kind of done all of his stuff that he did in season one. All that's done. Um, and he gets a message that he's supposed to go back to Kunlun and Kunlun gets attacked. Uh, and but that happens a lot in his I think stories. It, it seems like it does happen a lot. <laughs> it's uh, the only thing he has to do. Oh, Kunlun's being attacked. Gotta go back. Bye. Yep. This time it's uh, mechanical zombie ninjas. So. Oh my God. Yeah. When was this written? Uh, 90s? Recently. Really? Relatively. So mechanical zombie ninjas recently. Oh, I'm going to look up the exact date, but... Interesting. Oh, while you're doing that, I yeah. will kind of go through some of mine. Well, first of all, 
Uh, Sean and I, for a second anniversary, went to see The Meg. Mm-hmm. A terrible way to spend a second anniversary. Well, okay, I mean, spending time with her is uh, yeah. a great thing to do. Mm-hmm. But, oh 20, my god, The Meg was bad. 2014, by the way. Jesus Christ. The Meg was bad. Uh, it was very... It was like... So, in the trailers, you can kind of see that it's like, oh, it's going to be kind of like a fun movie with like some... Mm-hmm. It's like Jaws that's fun. Yeah. It was not. It... It was basically Jaws with, like, bad acting, and there was a few yeah. lines. The only jokes that landed were in the trailers. Oh, man. Uh, there were a few other attempts at it. The acting was subpar, which is really disappointing. Even Jason Statham, like, mm-hmm. there was just bad yeah. bad acting. That seems like something you'd probably blame on the script. The dialogue, like again, the dialogue mm-hmm. was just complete shit mm-hmm. there it was a, another one of those situations where like they're all experts except they're all complete fucking idiots except for jason oh, statham yeah. who isn't a marine biologist right who's a diver so like there, there's one specific theme thing that it 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 goes beyond like their expertise and it's more of just their uh like just being fucking oblivious to everything uh-huh. so basically it's the scene where they're like oh my god the meg is re- the meg is loose mm-hmm. it's gonna attack people Hey guys, there's a there's a distress beacon of a ship that just went down. Oh no, there's two more that went down. There's three ships that went missing. And it was kind of like that situation where like or like the thing where the camera zooms in through people to a person in the back. Uh-huh. Kind of like you know what I'm talking about and they all kind of yeah, turn yeah. to him and it's Jason Statham and he goes, "It's the Meg." No shit. <laughs> really? Oh. It's just it's so bad, and, like, everything is super predictable. Mm-hmm. You know, what's actually funny is that it's really soon following our How to Survive a Movie mm-hmm. episode, and it was just going down the list. Oh, man. <laughs> and it's like... <laughs> That's unfortunate. There's one where she's, like, in a, in a shark tank looking around trying to, like, find it. hmm At eye level. You're in the ocean. There are three dimensions. <laughs> Look the fuck down. <laughs> She's like, it's coming at me, and I don't see it. I can see, I'm looking directly at the way that it's coming, but I don't see it. It's because there's an entire ocean right below you. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, it's so bad. That's disappointing, because I, I really liked the trailer, and I was kind of hoping to go see it at some point. Yeah, I would but... not recommend it. It's very bad. All it's right. not fun. It's the, it's the first time in a movie theater that I've actually pulled out my phone, mm-hmm. looked up who wrote it, he wrote uh, wrote and like wrote all the all the script basically. Mm-hmm. It was Battleship is okay the other one yeah and also how much time is left. <laughs> I have never done that. I do it at home yeah during movies and it can be for a, a wide variety of reasons. It can be like this is bad. I want to know how much longer. Mm-hmm. This is really good. I hope the plot keeps going mm-hmm. or just general like the plot seems to be wrapping up. I wonder if it is mm-hmm. kind of thing. This one was just like oh please for the love of God oh twenty four minutes. Oh. <laughs> it's just uh. like oh man it's bad okay um other than that i have been on a since last thursday we were we were singing we were pre- rehearsing for a church and there's a song that we sang that's that was actually banned in brazil because it hmm. uh it was used as and this is kind of what i'm getting into it was used as like as like the can you hear the people sing Mm-hmm. Uh, for the like French Revolution, but for like the Brazilian Revolution, I don't know uh-huh. what, what it was called. Probably the Brazilian Revolution, uh, but for the, overthrowing the government. Mm-hmm. And like my mom and I started whistle, whistling. Can you hear the people sing? <laughs> and since then, I've been on a musical binge. I have listened to the Les Mis soundtrack and the 
Sweeney Todd soundtrack mm-hmm. about 14 times each. Yep. Uh, and that has led to me actually getting my free book on Amazon Prime for Audible of Les Mis, mm-hmm. which I'm going to begin. I will not give you guys updates on that. I will just, uh, like a month down the line, be like, hey, I read Les Mis. Okay. <laughs> I didn't read it. I listened to it. It counts. Uh, what else have I done? Uh, we watched La La Land. Yeah, we sat you down and finally... straight-jacketed you, pried your eyes open with toothpicks, and forced you to watch La La Land finally. Yep, that's exactly how it happened. That's exactly how it went down. Through the kind of the whole movie, I was like... I... I didn't actually say this. I felt like that it could have actually really done well not being a musical. Mm-hmm. Like, because it, there was plot or there was like, they broke out in song, which is like totally fine. But like, I, it, it didn't feel like it needed to be. Mm-hmm. It could be a movie based around music. That absolutely yeah. happens. Yeah. But like, I just felt like the, the best parts of the movie to me were the parts that were actually spoken and the actual plot. Right. Furthering. Yeah. So like, I felt like the music... Like, there's one scene where she's auditioning, and she just breaks into song, and I'm like, that pulled me out of it. Mm-hmm. Kind of a hyper-reality kind of thing, but I didn't really want hyper-reality in this. Okay. Also, when they were totally on drugs. So you're just bad at watching movies. That's it. Okay. No, it's, <laughs> it's not that I'm bad at movies. It's that I have expectations for how... When I go to a movie, I have an expectation for how suspended my my disbelief needs to be. Okay. And this one was very low. Mm-hmm. I expected it to be compl- like pretty much entirely realistic not obviously not 100 percent realistic but like realistic to the point where like this is how a real relationship might work like mm-hmm. how kind of the world works and then they start flying and she breaks out in song in the middle of an audition where she's speaking okay. and it's just like eh. i think your problem is that you weren't able to disentangle the fact that it's very like emotionally grounded from the fact that the details of the story sometimes go into hyper reality okay Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it was a great movie. Like, yeah. I, I was, like, I actually was the, I, I held it in, but I was just like, oh, fuck, at the end of the argument scene? Yep. God damn, that was good acting. Yes. <laughs> like, I I love just the perfect casting. Yeah. And, like, like they, and they're, like, best friends in real life, too. Yeah. So I love the chemistry between yeah. them. Anyway. They, they feel like real human characters. Um, I could I could rave about La La Land all day, but I'm going to cut myself off. Okay. I just, I really love that movie. Uh, What else have I done? I've read a little bit of Manhattan Project, which you lent me, so I'm right. not going to tell anybody else about it, because you can go back and listen to when Matt explains what it's yep. about. When you finish it, we'll have your thoughts. But... Okay. Uh, I think that's about... Oh, 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 the other big one. Uh, uh, I completely missed Death of Superman coming out. Oh, yeah. Because that's been a really that weird, like, hey, it's it's out in Europe right now, but you can, you in America can't have it for, like, another two months. Right. So, like, I've heard all about it. Like, it's been around in the in the, in the the uh, comic fan-universe for mm-hmm. a while. And then, like, Sean and I were in Target, and she's like, hey, Death of Superman. I'm like, shit, fuck, what? That's out. <laughs> Oh, God, that came out at the end of July. How did I miss that? <laughs> so I went home, rented it on Amazon, watched it. Uh, it takes – it It keeps – I actually really liked it. It keeps the spirit of all of the characters that exist – mm-hmm. of the characters it used. It keeps the spirit of the story. Mm-hmm. But it takes some deviations purely because the Justice League that was the Justice League in the book – is not the Justice League they're using in the animated thing. Okay. So, like, when Doomsday's fighting the Justice League, mm-hmm. like, the Doom- Doomsday fights the Justice League and takes them all out. Right. And it's a really cool fight scene. It's, like, way better than it is in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really cool to see Batman, like, 
struggling against something, which is not like struggling against something like superhuman, which is right. super hard for him to fight. Uh, and it's a different reason that Superman is away. Uh, because in the comic book, uh, Superman, uh, Lois Lane knows Superman's Clark Kent mm-hmm. and he's just on a television, uh, show doing interview, but that's super important for him. Uh-huh. But in the movies, she doesn't know yet. So oh, okay. they kind of into, they kind of pulled that together to where his dinner the dinner he's had or the date he has with Lois to tell her is the thing that's important enough that he's not fighting doomsday at the time. Okay. So that's, it's a really cool way of kind of like bringing it to the more, what we like of where like, well, good Lord. I don't know what the words I'm saying. Basically fans of DC love when Lois Lane knows, right? Because that brings her into the relationship and that allows for that relationship. So they basically had that happen. Mm-hmm. And they reference the – it's still part of the same series of movies where they reference the Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman Superman relationship mm-hmm. that no one liked. And they're like – and they end the movie, they're like, it's a thing. It's over. We're still friends. Lois Lane's mine. Right. You're okay. potentially Steve Trevor in the future. Um, but also, instead of the punches being the things that kill each other, uh, they kind of – I think they were just trying to say – Hey, Batman versus Superman had some importance. So they had Doomsday not like stab him with like his hand blade mm-hmm. or whatever, but like uh he was impaled on a Doomsday bone. Okay. So instead of a punch it was a stab. So that kind of brought it. But spoilers, man. It's f- <laughs> <laughs> Batman or Do- Doomsday die. Oh, okay, Doomsday also dies. But uh no, they had and then it, it, it ended the way that uh, it's kind of halfway through uh, Funeral for a Friend, which is super goddamn boring. Mm-hmm. I don't recommend reading it. <laughs> Just okay. read Death of Superman and then like, hey, he fucking comes back. Read read The World Without Superman, which is like the reign of the Superman. Right. Um, but they're like, he's dead. Oh, dear. Wait, something's happening at his at his mausoleum, and they run, and then it's all open, and then they see a guy floating, and then like fly away, okay. which is accurate because that's kind of what he does. He's like super low on strength, but it's enough for him to get out, get to the mm-hmm. fortress of solitude, and get into his healing matrix, which is where the Eradicator gets all of his. Okay. All, his, all that. So that's all that. Right. We can talk about that a different. We can actually put an episode. In. However. Not all, however. All that to say, it's actually a really good... I think it might be one of my favorite of the animated movies. Okay. Because the fighting is really cool, and it's also, as much of a fan of Batman as I am, it's also fun to see Batman struggling to put something down. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, fall, you bastard. <laughs> I like but, it. Yeah, no, it's super cool, and watching every... It, like, it makes everyone seem strong. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like Doomsday is just an average strength and everyone else is a fucking weakling. It, like... That it makes them seem strong while also losing to this obscene monster. Okay. I like it. So I recommend cool. it. All right. Highly recommend it. It's mm-hmm. actually out now. Okay. Uh, I also watched a couple of movies this week. Um, I watched The Florida Project, finally. Okay. Which was a, I guess, Oscar Beatty movie that didn't quite get Oscar Ooh. buzz, even though it really should have been. Oh, okay. Because it was uh, really good. Mm-hmm. So basically... It's kind of one of those dramas that doesn't really have a story so much as like, here's these characters. We're going to take this slice out of their life. Side note, I really should have saved that rant that I, or like that mm-hmm. speech I just had for the actual episode. 
eh, eh whatever. <laughs> that was a perfect, it's a perfect. Well, we can reference it. Yeah, we'll reference it. Okay. Um, <laughs> anyway, Florida Project. Uh, it's one of those movies, I'm finding that I have a soft spot for these kind of movies where it's not really like, okay, here's a story with a beginning and a middle and an end. It's like, here's a group of characters. There are some important events that have happened to them in this particular time period that we're going to show you or around that time period that are affecting them. And just watch them live for a little while. Hmm. I, I really like those. And this one, uh, it puts an interesting spin on that by making the point of view character a six-year-old girl. Hmm. So it completely changes the tone of what should be a really depressing story and makes it just sort of full of this like childlike innocence. Yeah. So it's very fascinating. Um, cool. I'm going to try that because that, that's one of the... Uh, I mean, I always all of the stories that I write are always like, hey, it's just like other perspective or whatever or stuff mm-hmm. like, like fucking yeah. with what what it should be right it's yeah it's a really good movie um Let's try that out at some point yeah it's got willem dafoe and he's the only person i recognized in it okay i love it when like some big name actor does an indie movie that there's no one else famous in segway to under the skin which I also watched this week. I don't know what that one is either. Uh, that one is a low-budget sci-fi movie that somehow managed to rope in Scarlett Johansson. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, basically, it's uh, Scarlett Johansson plays an alien who comes to Earth, um, adopts the form of a human, and goes out to seduce human males, apparently to study them. It's not really explained. It's kind of very artsy. Okay. Um, and one thing I really love about this is... The way they shot a lot of it is they just put Scarlett Johansson in a van um, with hidden cameras, had her drive around Scotland and try to, like, pick up men on the street and just filmed it. Yeah. That's so weird. Yeah. And it actually ends up, like, impacting the story. Like, they picked up this one guy and it sort of changes the direction of the story Hmm. just based on who this guy is. Um, So it's like a random guy. It's not a hired actor. It's just a random guy. What the fuck? That's weird. Yeah. Um, And it... Terms. I'm assuming they got like waivers and all that stuff. Yeah, from no, the people. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> it's like the YouTube videos where it's just like random strangers, and then like immediately after they stop filming, they're like, "Hey, we actually have like seventeen thousand pieces of paper for you to sign." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's like I said, it's really weird and artsy. Like it explains basically nothing, and so you're kind of the first half sort of trying to understand what exactly is even going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second half sort of, once you feel like you've got a grasp on it, it's really interesting to watch this alien sort of try to understand what being a human is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a really interesting perspective. And I think it's a movie that while telling you very little says a lot. Interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Yep. That's uh, what up to I also watched the new episode of Better Call Saul. Okay. It is still very good. Did um, you watch Yellowstone? No, I actually haven't seen the past couple uh, episodes. I'm slacking. Matt. I know. Um, Better Call Saul, the the first, the season premiere, uh, well, it was a really good episode. Um, it kind of restrained the main character, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, more emotionally. And so this one, he kind of starts breaking out of his bubble and actually doing things. And it's very fun to see. Okay. Because he's a really engaging character. Yeah. As you know. 
All right. All right. Is that all you have? That's all I have. I've got a couple other things that I forgot about. One, I finished Dial H, which I think I talked about last time. Yeah, about a guy who brought that up. Uh, it got the beginning. I think I said that I didn't wasn't a huge fan of it at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, once I went back and I read like the um, DC Wiki page mm-hmm. for each of the issues to get the story of what was going on, mm-hmm. and like about five or six issues in, it's when it is when it starts to get really good, and you start okay. to, it actually start to learn about what's going on because mm-hmm. it. It doesn't do really well. You don't know what's going on. It's very confusing. Like it's it's mm. a because di- you know there's like when you don't know what's going on in a good movie, it's still compelling and it, you're, it right. drives you enough to want to figure it out. Right. That's but this what is just like it's super goddamn confusing. Mm-hmm. And I was like about to give up, but then it started to get interesting. And uh, there's a thing that it did that. I adore so much, and I think it may be one of my favorite things ever of comics. Wow. Uh, so, in the Flash run, there's two issues where his powers just fucking disappear. Hmm. Like, he's about he's, he's getting into Blackgate because there's a, there's a breakout happening with all his... And the tricksters, mm-hmm. like, fucking things, fucking things up. And, like, he, so he's trying to get into Blackgate, and his powers just disappear. And it's two issues of really interesting. It's two issues of him using his brain as opposed to his powers. Like getting, he got like the, um, got into the evidence lockers to get all the weapons from, from the rogues mm-hmm. and use those against them and stuff like that. It's really interesting okay. two issues, but they never explain it. So fast forward to dial H mm-hmm. where you start to learn that, um, my dad's watching a football game and just exclaimed. <laughs> it's preseason, man. So if there's a Viking, oh, there is a Vikings game going on right now. I think probably, or there was a Vikings game. They tend to record the games and watch it later. Anyway, it's still preseason. Um, but, uh, so you start to learn that there's these other dimensions that have all these superheroes that the dials are designed to copy the superpowers. Okay. Of the, so they'll get like super bizarre ones. They'll get like a bunch of that are house based. Uh-huh. And there's a dimension where there's a team of superheroes that are all house based. Okay. So like there's a chimney guy. There's like an open window man, which I will show you what he looks like. Oh, you know, what? I'm just gonna show you what he looks like. I'm gonna pull it up. All right. Um, I'll post it on the Instagram too. Whenever I have a chance to stop talking. All right. Um, but all the things are broken. Like the ones that they have are broken. So instead of bar- uh, copying it, it steals their powers. Oh. And it does like a flashback to where like the first person used it and it was broken and it's and it stole a person's powers and like that person was amidst a fight and it cost lives oh. and she came and she came to that dimension and killed the person that used it the first dialer it was because it was like you fucking kill it's your fault like revenge interesting and it kind of d- it started developing this whole thing there's an issue where he gets the flash's powers oh the explanation is in a super obscure comic run. <laughs> and it's so funny because like I, re- I remember I completely forgot that happened mm-hmm. and then I was reading this and like the, the the cover of the issue is him as the Flash and I was like oh cool he's gonna get the Flash's powers mm-hmm. and then like I was reading it and I'm like wait a minute because then they're like I'm the Flash he's like I can't stop and then he stopped he's like I'm the Flash he's like what happened to the Flash and that's when it clicked I'm like oh fuck oh, this is the explanation yeah. and he like and he'll have the memories of uh-huh. the of the person and he's like something about like getting into Belle Reve, and I like ran over to my comics, and I was looking through. I'm like, oh my god, this is the explanation. That's awesome. It's like it's one of the, I think it's my favorite thing because like if you want the explanation, you have to go read this other small storyline mm-hmm. that's not like Batman, the Flash, Justice League, Superman. Right. It's Dial H, which is this obscure comic. I hadn't heard of it. I love it. 
That's it's amazing. Oh, it's so clever. good. Um, but yeah, you also learn that there's other dials. So there's the H dial, which is hero. S dial, for, I think I explained this. Mm-hmm. Sidekick, villain. And then there's also a D dial, which is doom dial. Which uh, the guy, I'm not going to explain the full story, but a guy, the guy who created the dials wants to like destroy the world. So he starts randomly, so it starts doing the doom and it randomly generates just natural disasters. Oh. And like apparently Earth has the most natural disasters. So it's like all the natural, all the natural disasters you're going to, re- uh, you're going to, you're going to dial most of it's most likely coming from Earth. uh here is open window man i want to cosplay as him that is very strange yep i'm gonna he looks evil though doesn't he look at his smile kind of he's actually a super nice dude he's a batman of his world where he was like the of a kid whose parents were killed Uh uh-huh and like he goes every every universe he goes to every dimension he goes to he's like there's always a kid and like there's one where it's just like a wall world where everyone has chalk on like these brick walls. And he likes, he's like talking to this kid. He's like, you're the kid. And he's like showing the kid how to be like a superhero mm-hmm. and then like gives him a bat cave essentially. And the kid's like, I don't want it. And it's like, ah, oh, he's different than Batman. He doesn't Yay. want to be a vigilante. Anyway. <laughs> All right. News. News. Where the fuck? All uh, right. I, I don't have... think I have any news. Okay. I have a few news. Um, we'll start with the, pop culture major trailers there was a first trailer for the resistance series the star wars animated oh series. yeah that's right yep um i don't know looks fine i haven't seen any of the star wars animated shows yet so yeah i haven't seen the i trailer. can't speak to whether it feels like those or not um, i haven't seen it so i couldn't tell you yeah i think the animation looks pretty cool i'll say that much it's a, kind of a different style yeah I think I have seen bits of what it's supposed to, what it is. Right. It's um, not like the sort of 3D animated Pixar type animation. Uh It's uh, sort of like classic cartoon, but done in a 3D way with shading and stuff. So, yeah, I'm sure there's a very nice technical term for it. And I'd appreciate it if you'd leave it in the comments, because then I'll know it for next time. Yep. Whoever um, does graphic design probably know the exact name for it. Mm-hmm. It's probably some weird Japanese name. I don't even know. Uh, the other thing, big thing, was we got a new Iron Fist trailer. Like a full, oh, yeah. actual, real trailer that gave away most of the plot. But, okay. Uh, this brought my hat down a little bit. Yeah, mine too. It seems to be... it. The, uh, the trailer seemed to be a little better than the best of the first, first season. Yeah. Which I guess is fine, mm-hmm. but it's still from the first season. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I will say the action, I thought, looked really good. Um, yeah. But it looks like they're very much going to the MCU phase one problem of, okay, we'll just have him face the bad off guy an evil is version of himself. A different version which, of the good guy. It's kind of starting to seem like season two of some of these menu shows is just becoming that a little bit. Yeah. Um. Jessica Jones, sort of. Luke Cage, sort of. Yeah, I haven't seen either of those. There's, there's more going on in both of those that keep it interesting enough. Yep. Um, so hopefully there's more going on in this. On a brighter menu news, Daredevil Season 3 is coming out at the end of 2018. Yep, we talked about like, that a couple weeks oh, ago. Oh, we did? Yep. Oh, shit. Well, still, <laughs> let's bring the, bring the mood up a bit. I'm still excited about it. Yep. Yes. Because that's still just the best show. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, Can't wait to see more. 
Um, there were a whole bunch of non like Star Wars or Marvel or DC trailers that at least caught my attention this week mm-hmm. that I'll briefly touch on. Uh, the Mad Men people are doing a new series for Amazon uh, called The Romanoffs, which is about a bunch of people in just around the world modern day. I think it's actually an anthology show mm-hmm. uh, about people that believe that they are descendants of the Romanoffs, the last Russian royal family that was wiped out during Natasha the revolution. Romanoff? What? Natasha Romanoff? Black Widow? I'm just going to oh. refuse to acknowledge oh, okay. that. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah so it i don't know it looks interesting the there's a lot of talented people involved with that so i'm kind of curious to see what happens with that amazon's yep. doing pretty well with their original content i think mm-hmm. um another one was uh green book so i think i saw that yeah or a bit of it it's basically driving miss daisy except miss daisy is actually mahershala ali and the driver is actually oh yeah Viggo mortensen. Viggo mortensen oh my god i'm so excited for that purely because of Viggo mortensen yeah. <laughs> i'm excited for it just because of mahershala ali i need to go watch uh fuck what's the one where like the mom and the dad are like doomsday preppers or something like that like the uh captain fantastic yes yeah that i want to mm-hmm. go watch that because i love Viggo mortensen so mm-hmm. much he's good like literally only Four four movies I've seen of uh, of him, I goddamn loved him in, mm-hmm. which was just so you know, The Lord of the Rings and then The Road. Mm-hmm. The Road was amazing. I haven't seen The Road. What? I know. It's Matt! like I the came, tables have turned. I came so close to watching it like a week when I watched. Brace that, yourself. When I I've read the book. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, you pretentious. Uh, so close though. Like I moused over it on Netflix and I was like, because I was thinking, okay, I'm gonna go home and I'm just gonna watch a movie. And I was like, I should see The Road. I've always wanted to see that. It's on Netflix. Uh-huh. And then I got home and I like looked at it and I was like, nah, I'm going to watch Under the Skin instead. Ah, <laughs> I'll get so around good. to it. It's leaving It's leaving Netflix in like a week. So I'll oh, watch shit. it Oh shit. I'm going to watch that this week. Yeah. Again. Um, ah, I've seen it enough. Okay. I've seen it a lot. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to comment on that because it was an interesting trailer with people that I really like. So. Yeah. Hopefully that's good. Uh, we got another trailer for Widows. Which I've been hyping about for a while. Okay. Um, and this trailer brought my hype down. And uh. I'm all of a sudden kind of worried. Uh, Steve McQueen's the director. Um, he's the guy who did 12 Years a Slave. And then also uh, Prisoners in Shame are his other two mm-hmm. uh, feature-length movies. Um, he's a very talented director. All three of those movies are great. Mm-hmm. Really well made. Really well put together. Uh, but... They all have something very interesting in their core. This one feels very generic, just like in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, a bunch of bank robbers get killed, and their widows have to pay back the people that they were robbing for. Yeah, and it just it feels really generic. I'm sure it'll be well made, but it. It just, it looks like the sort of movie that could be like, okay, this was him trying to go mainstream and it didn't really work. And it'll just be that little smudge on his oof. Yeah. Um, so, fingers crossed, because he hasn't made a bad movie yet. And it's got like a dozen of my favorite actors. But, uh, this is a little, little uneasy. Um, and then the last one was uh, first trailer for Roma. Which is Alfonso Cuarón's new movie, mm-hmm. which I'm excited about because he directed Children of Men, which is my actual favorite movie of all yeah. time. So, I uh, don't know a lot about it. 
basically centered on a family in Mexico in the 70s, which was him. He grew up in Mexico mm-hmm. during that time. Uh, it's black and white, which is interesting. Um, and it looks kind of a little like that sort of thing that I was talking about, where it's just like, here's these people. We're just going to cut out a chunk of their lives. And maybe there'll be some important stuff that happens here, but it's not a story with a beginning, middle, and an end necessarily. Yeah. So very excited for that one. Uh, it's going to be Netflix original. I think it's coming awards season, basically. Cause gotcha. It's very Oscar baby looking. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's all I had for trailers. Uh, there's a couple of other news items real quick. Okay. Chris Pine is apparently maybe not going to be in Star Trek 4. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. I would take this with a grain of salt because I assume that this is more just him trying to get leverage in some sort of contract negotiation. Possibly. But. If it's not. Big if true. If true, maybe they will go to a different series. Mm -hmm. Maybe go to like Next Generation or Enterprise. That'd be cool to see a young John Luke Picard. Yeah. Who'd you cast? James McAvoy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep it. <laughs> if anyone doesn't get that reference, Patrick Stewart played Captain or Captain Xavier. Captain Xavier. And Professor Jean-Luc Picard. <laughs> so if we get, you know, baby Captain Xavier, we can make him baby Do- Professor Jean-Luc Picard. Yep. That would, yep. Yes. That, that was yep. very confusing. My brain hurts after that. Oh, I have no idea who I'd cast. It would take me... I j- yeah. literally just thought of that. Mm-hmm. So, let's... Yep. Give me time. I, okay. <laughs> uh, the, the other thing, this was just kind of interesting. I mean, to be fair, I, there was no way in hell I ever would have, like, thought to cast Chris Pine as... Right. As a young... Uh, Shatner. Yeah. So. He's, yeah. It's, but it works. Yeah, it works. Yeah, so. Um, the very last piece of news. Uh, apparently, Tony K who directed American History X and some other stuff that I haven't seen, uh, wants to cast a robot in a movie. Interesting. Yeah. Gonna be a bad idea. Might be. I'm very curious. Because he wants to do, like, like teach an AI to sort of recognize how actors act and then have it play a character. So he's disguising a science experiment in a budget movie i think it's pretty low budget it's a sequel to a netflix original rom-com that i hadn't heard of until i read the article oh okay so uh i'm kind of curious to see if this actually goes through yeah uh i can't imagine that it's going to be very smooth because the first time you try something radically new it's usually a huge mess yep but it does feel like a first step that someone will actually get figured out in 30 years and it'll yeah. then be a thing. Awesome. We're replacing, we're literally replacing artists. Yep. Like that was the one thing that we were like, Hey, once re- machines replace humans, like take our jobs, we'll still have art, but yeah, no, no, we're we literally going to fucking take that yep. from us too. Fuck that guy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it was inevitable. Yeah. It's going to happen. I, the question will be whether they'll use physical robots or just CGI recreations oh, in, thir- God. in 30 years. Imagine having to act across literally a thing. Who's acting, though? It's all CGI. Everyone. All of it? Yep. All right. Just do, like, the Microsoft Sam voice for everything. Yep. 
Oh, uh, any other news? I'm out of news. Okay, I literally had no news. Okay. I, I've been focused on a whole bunch of other shit this week. Mm-hmm. This just was not my week to pay yep. attention. I'm sure other stuff happened. Oh, absolutely. It's probably important. Yep. Tell, us, tell us about it in the comments. So, this so. week's episode, we have 25 minutes, which is plenty of time to talk about this. Yeah. Uh... We are going to begin our series of, we're calling it the requels. Mm-hmm. So basically, we're going to, like, every episode, we're going to kind of, we're, we're not going to do it, like, week after week. It's going to be, this is the first one, and then whenever we get to the next one, we'll be the next one. Yep. Uh, it's basically a, we are we are going to be talking about different kinds of, like, sequels, prequels, re, uh, reimaginings, re- uh, anything unoriginal, reboots, basically. Anything unoriginal, yeah. So not, not necessarily as a criticism. Yeah, and this one doesn't actually fit in the re or the quells. Yep. Uh, it's uh, adaptations. Adaptations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're gonna basically talk about like what are what are some good adaptations, what are some bad adaptations, what makes them good, whatever the fuck we want to say. Really. We'll just we'll just talk. We're just gonna we'll talk. just kind of see where it goes. Shocker, we're doing yeah. something kind of unplanned. Yeah, who knows? Um. I guess we'll start off with one of the most popular adaptations. Okay. Lord of the Rings. Yeah. That is an start example. Start off with a really good one. Of a, of a great adaptation. Yeah. I mean, there are a few out there, but so. So what, make it, what made it good? <laughs> uh, I think, uh, I mean, very many things went into that movie being <laughs> as good as it is. Yeah. Uh, I think a big part of it was the realization by everyone involved that, holy crap, we are making a live action Lord of the Rings movie. Mm -hmm. This is like the biggest, most culturally important movie, like non-original movie. So Mm -hmm. get rid of star Wars. Yeah. This is like the most important thing that is going to be put to screen in a long time. We have to put everything we have into this. Yeah. And you look at like the the behind the scenes videos of the, the production designers and the costumers and everyone is so absorbed in this yeah. world because I think they recognize the importance of the source material. They're no one with. half-assed anything in this movie. Unlike another trilogy, I would love to mention, but I'm going to restrain myself. Hold it here. Hold it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Like I think, I think the basically kind of what we're getting at is that like, this book series had a fully developed everything. There was lore, yeah. there was uh there was culture, there was like uh, straight up like the armor and stuff I'm pretty sure was described in the books. Yeah. Stuff like that. Like it was fully developed right. in Tolkien's mind and he put it to paper. Yeah. The story and... was the story was just an excuse for him to write out his little world building yeah. fantasy. And I think they took that attitude towards the book mm-hmm. that Tolkien put into it and they took it and were loyal to that attitude and put it into the movie. Mm-hmm. So first of all, they stuck to stuck to the source material because the source material was phenomenal anyway. Right. I mean they they trim it and make it more efficient. Yeah, they got rid of like to, they got rid of a whole character like Tom Bombadil, right. but it was something that it didn't seem like there was something missing. Right. They took some lines and they gave them to Treebeard just to put the lines in there yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, and that's that's stuff where that's more Tolkien, again, just kind of flexing his world-building muscles. He's like, okay, there's also this nature spirit guy that 
smokes pot yeah. or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's him. I think that's the terrible interpretation of Radagast in that other trilogy that we're going to hold off. Hold for a it! Shut up! I'm sure in myself. But uh, no, seriously though, like the and the whoa, okay, all of that was like start half sentences, and I yep. nothing came out of it. Yep. Um, the I really think it is just like the dedication to by the the writers who took what was important and what was the best parts of the right. series and put it into a well written script. Right. Because there was obviously changes in the way that people spoke because probably yeah. like obviously. Yeah. So they knew how to translate that. Yeah. That was, and, that's a big part because Tolkien, his style is very archaic. Oh, God, He's writing yes. like these old mythic type stories. Cough, cough, Silmarillion, which I'm still only halfway through. <laughs> Started reading that like months ago. <laughs> it's hard. It's, it's not an easy read. It's, yeah, it's dense. And even Lord of the Rings, like it's much more readable, but it's still, it's very dense and archaic. And yeah. there was a star upon his brow and stuff like that. Yeah. And I mean, I don't mean to make fun because I love those books. Yeah. But it's... Not, it's not human. Right. It's not human, and it's not something that translates very easily to a big-budget blockbuster movie. Yeah. And so the screenwriters did a phenomenal job of taking the spirit of the thing and turning it into something that still fits with a modern I think audience. translation is something we're going to talk about a lot in this episode. Yeah. Because it's obviously writing and, and acting, or writing and speaking are entirely different things. Like, mm-hmm. like Harrison Ford said in Star Wars, is like, you can write this shit, you can't say this shit. Yeah. Um, and that w- may very well have been the case if they just took straight from the book and just said what the book was. Yeah, it would feel really stilted. It would feel like Shakespeare at the Park filmed for $250 million pop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, and the actors that portrayed them... like played the characters were the characters right and i think that that's another thing that like that helped it and this is less of the adaptation part of it more of just like what made it a good movie in general Mm -hmm. is it like vigo mortensen walked around with the sword in his hand yeah (laughs) he literally just like he he would walk around walk down the walk down the street swinging his sword around like practicing some of his choreography getting comfortable with it yeah Yeah. so like they were their characters Mm -hmm. it was great it's, it's great. It's a great movie. Yeah. You know what else is a great adaptation? The Hobbit. The Hobbit. The like the voice work is really solid. The animation, like <laughs> it's weird. It's got kind of that seventies feel because it came out in the seventies, but it's like it works. And the music is like really great. They take all the original songs from the book and they actually like put them to music and put them in. It's it's fun. It's like it it, it streamlines the story, but it sticks to it. It's great. It's really good. You know what else is really good? What live action Hobbit. What makes that okay? So now we got the we got the good. Okay, here we go. We got the good adaptation. Let's talk about the bad adaptation. Okay, which is the Hobbit. Yeah. So we'd better start by talking about the book Hobbit. So the thing, the first thing to realize is that the Hobbit was Tolkien's actual first book. Yeah, it's what he started with, and it's what he read to his kids. Like right, you can tell it's different. It is so clearly much a children's book. Yeah, at heart. Again, not to disparage, it's still, like, a great story, but it's much more, like, episodic, like, okay, here's the story of how there were these three trolls, and then they got turned into stone, and it just kind of, it it goes along, and it's, like, he'll talk to the reader a little bit. Yeah, and it wasn't, like, as referential to the lore. Right, it's much less mythological, it's just like, okay, here's this world, but we're just gonna tell this fun little story. Yeah. Um, 
The the problem with the actual movie adaptation is that they didn't know if they wanted to adapt that or if they wanted to adapt that. and I hate it. Is that all you got? And then... (laughs) And then there's the fact that you can tell that everyone who worked on this movie did not care. I mean... But it doesn't matter because it's going to make enough money to justify its own worthless existence. Is that all you got? (laughs) <laughs> and then there's the fact that they had to shoo in all these tie-ins to Lord of the Rings that were completely unnecessary we don't know what we're doing because we're stupid now I'm done Woo! <laughs> that was a hell of a rant All right. I really hate those movies. So The Hobbit is a bad adaptation. The Hobbit's a bad adaptation. All right. <laughs> let's uh <sighs> let's move from book to movie. And since, you know, since I literally just like pulled up my phone and I saw Les Mis mm-hmm. on there, let's fucking talk about that. Okay. I don't know much about it, so talk. Going going seamlessly because I started I started going through the Wikipedia page. And like I'm going to start reading the book, so this will not be just me reading another like right getting it from the internet but i started reading through the wikipedia page and i started to catch on to like there was a lot of things that are different from like the musical to the book well and, like i'm familiar yeah. with the musical and so i like i was like let's see if i can find like a, a thing that has different stuff like what's so different about these uh about this like between the book and the, and the musical mm-hmm. luckily for me quora did a full list of everything that, that oh. was different. You are not familiar with Les Mis, right? Not really. I know sort of the basic story. Yes. All right, so I'll, I'll give you like a really quick rundown that I can. I'll probably just delete this from the from okay. the audio. So I don't know where I'm going to cut that. Who knows? But I just told you everything. About, I just told you essentially kind you, of the, the you essence of explained the, me yeah. Les Mis. So I'm just going to go through this list of about 2019 things that are different from the book to the movie. Okay. Fontaine's sorrow and pain is much deeper in the novel. Uh, she sells her front teeth and she dies of shock after learning Valjean is a criminal as opposed to having a sickness okay. in the musical. Uh, Gavroche is the Gavroche is a little kid uh, who basically is on the streets and knows everything about the streets. Okay. Uh, he's he's in the in the song Look Down. It's like, uh, how you do? My name's Gavroche. Uh, blah, blah, blah. And it's like kind of singing to the hype. The really rich people that are going through the town of a bunch of poor people mm-hmm. on the street of a whole bunch of poor people. Uh, he's a little kid. Uh, he's the thin, uh, thin, I can't fucking, uh, Borat and Helen Bonham Carter's son. Okay. Uh, in the book, they have five kids as opposed to just Eponine. Okay. Uh, and Gavroche is one of them. Uh, Marius in the music is gentle, kind and friendly. He's like mm-hmm. nice to Eponine at the end. Uh, but in the novel, he's, he's kind of an asshole. Okay. He's selfish and cocky. Uh, and I believe, I think this is in here somewhere, but I believe he also just, like, didn't fucking care when Eponine died. Uh-huh. He just walked right over. Uh, in the musical, Valjean dies at the end of Cosette and Marius' wedding. There you go. Answer mm-hmm. that question. In the in the novel, he dies a few weeks later. In the novel, Eponine is a secondary character. She's also jealous, catty, and spiteful, and quite ugly because of her misery. 
Marius finds her annoying and creepy, and they rarely talk to each other. Plus, he brings him... She's also very attractive in the movie. Mm-hmm. Plus, she brings uh, him to the barricade in order to die together and destroys his love with Cosette. Er, and destroys love with Cosette. So Hugo makes her hateful, contrary to the musical where she's an adorable and sad little brat. Makes okay. sense. She's a bitch. <laughs> All right. Cosette <laughs> uh, is a very is a very developed character in the book, full of hope and light and also clever, well-read, charming, pleasant, uh, other uh, and pleasant uh, other than just beautiful and fair. She's amazing. The true heir of Fantine. She wants to be free. She dreams of an adventurous life. And we all know of her hob and we, we know all of her hobbies and passions in the musical in order to give more space for, to Eponine. She's uh, just a naive and dumb chick who has two or three songs with Marius. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, so basically they took all of the charmingness from Cosette and gave it to Eponine. Okay. Uh, Why do you it, think that made the, they made that change in the adaptation? I think it's because sexism. Okay. I don't actually think that's the answer. Uh, I think it may very well be uh, you don't want too shallow of characters in a short movie like that. Okay. It, or in a musical that's like three hours long. Mm-hmm. You don't want to just have a character that everyone disregards. You don't basically... You have a limited number of character development in a movie, right? Right. You don't want to dedicate it all to one person and have shallow other characters. Okay. So in the in the book, they developed uh, the all of them a lot, and they it's have a fourteen hundred page book. Yeah. Yeah. In the uh, in the movie, I think they brought her down. They brought them all down, so they have a little bit shallower character development mm-hmm. but i think maybe a reason they made eponine nicer was to make everyone kind of like you know when everyone dies at the end you want them to feel sad for him basically right. except for the actual villains you don't want to make she's she's not an antagonist in a movie okay uh, a movie like this where it's less for well-read people of like victor hugo stuff mm-hmm. you want to make it basically like black and white of antagonist to protagonist okay uh basically uh javert is a antagonist Eponine's a protagonist. The Thenanidiars, master of the house, mm-hmm. is uh, our antagonist. Stuff like that. Okay. But there's less, there's less, or more gray area in the in the book. So as opposed to making Eponine an insane bitch, they made her like reasonable, nice to Mary's story. You feel bad for her, but also like you don't hate Marius because he's actually a nice, gentle person. Okay. So that's probably what that was. All right. Uh, da, 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 da. The in the novel art. So that's the master. The master of the house. Da, 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 da. Uh, believe uh, they are dreadful. Uh, they do appalling things like murders or kidnappings. And Cosette's infancy is more contorted and terrible. They throw out Gavroche and they sell their younger children for money. They uh, in the musical they are uh, delightful in comparison. They're, they're not delightful. Mm-hmm. by the standard by the meaning of the word but in comparison they are better uh okay. i didn't start my timer back yeah well resume that's fine uh the book we know Cosette's father felix uh tholomius but we don't know who he is we all we know is that he left uh fontaine uh in the book there's marius's rich grandpa he appears in but he appears in so in the He's got a rich grandpa, mm-hmm. uh, so when he's standing with the poor people in the French Revolution, they're like, you have a rich family, like, heritage. Why are you with us? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not in the musical. It's in the movie, and it's in the book. Okay. Uh, 
Uh, Bishop Muriel, uh, Muriel is more developed in the novel than in the musical. The rebels in the novel have a single, spe- have single special deaths instead of just being shot. Uh, Gazette in the novel has reddish chestnut. Okay, I'm pretty sure the rest of this is just kind of like physical stuff. Okay. Um, there is one thing that I do know that's different that's not in here. Uh, that he goes by a different, uh, Valjean goes by a different, uh, name at the end. Or not at the end, but, like, when he changes who he is. Mm -hmm. He goes by, oh, no, uh, Mad, no, fuck, Madeline, Madeline, no, Logan, Madeline, Madeline, there we go. Monsieur Madeleine. Shut up, Logan. Uh, it's Monsieur Mad, uh, Madeleine as opposed to uh, Monsieur uh, Mud... Whatever the French word for mayor is. Mm-hmm. It's called that. He doesn't really have a name. Okay. So that. All right. Is it a good ad- adaptation? I haven't read the book. I don't know. Okay. Is it a good movie, though? It's a very good movie. Okay. I enjoy it a lot. All right. Uh, it's actually the first date I've ever been on in my life. Huh. Julie and I went on there for our first date, and it was, and I didn't give a shit back then, because mm-hmm. obviously it was my first girlfriend ever, and I was like, oh, I'm on a date! <laughs> I wasn't really paying attention to the movie, and, yeah. I, and like, someone literally had to explain to me, because this was back when I didn't really know it, mm-hmm. I didn't know that uh, Marius convinced Eponine that he liked her in her death, mm-hmm. so I was just like, wait, so does he actually like her? <laughs> I was a fucking idiot back then. Well, you'd only seen about six movies, so. Yeah. <laughs> uh but no it's a really good movie uh and it's also an opera right so it which i learned recently the difference between a musical and opera it's an opera so as opposed to my other points with la la land all Mm -hmm. of the dialogue is in the music right like you get the full story from the music and that's the whole point right um i watched fox screen rant god damn it i watched them do their honest trailers and it was like Man, you spent your money on this and you didn't realize there was no dialogue. It's a fucking opera, you uncultured swine. Yep. Fuck off. I hate listicle companies. Looper, Watch Mojo, Screen Rant, Comic Book Resources. You all can go fuck yourselves. God damn it. Comic Book Resources is a bunch of filthy casuals. They did this article that was, oh my god, I'm starting to do what you did and completely <laughs> unintentional. <laughs> <laughs> holy shit okay I do, I do want to rant about this they did an art like i've i think i've talked about this in the podcast they did an article of like how many times batman's killed and none of them were actually bruce wayne modern batman it's just yep. like fuck you you guys are complete filthy casuals you just read a little bit of things and you're like oh i'm an expert it's like i actually am a goddamn expert yep <sighs> that was completely unintentional goddamn that in, was pent up in defense of listicles cinefix is great they're like that's not a listicles company though they don't do like they don't do those goddamn like you have to i don't fucking that, they I, they very much do they're like here's 10 the 10 best sci-fi movies of all time here's the and they had like a series of the 10 best of like the five they're best intelligent though time. you can tell yeah, by no, the other stuff yeah no like they're they are actually good and this other stuff is not good they just right. like it's completely subjective right i'm just saying there are good ones out there and yeah. check out cinefix because they're awesome and they have recommended so many good movies to me over the years gotcha uh let's go on to some comic books uh there is a bajillion adaptations for comic books yep so let's kind of keep it light so let's let's make let's keep it broad i think okay so my big question is always why do fans get so angry when a comic gets adapted into a movie 
and it changes a lot of details. That is actually something that I was going to kind of form this around is that like what I'm going to very much compartmentalize the difference between a good adaptation and a good movie. Okay. Because when I look at the Batman trilogy or the Dark Knight trilogy, Mm -hmm. those are really, really good movies. Yes. But they're not very good adaptations. The characters are drastically different. Bane is completely butchered. Yeah. Batman is very different. He. Batman doesn't seem as intelligent as he actually is. Mm-hmm. He lets all the de- all the computers do the detective work. Everything is Alfred giving him stuff. Well, in the comics, kind of is that way too. <laughs> but like Joker is, Joker is relatively good. Right. He's not spot on, but he's just a fucking fantastic character. Right. <laughs> uh, Scarecrow's pretty accurate. Um, his backstory is a little different, but like, mm-hmm. but. No, the Dark Knight trilogy is not a fantastic adaptation. Okay. But they're just fantastic movies in general, so it and and, and they take they take the character, the spirit of the character, and then make something that fits with the universe. Right. So it makes sense. Right. And there are enough things that are accurate, like Batman's relatively accurate, except for just being less smart, but right. like his ability to utilize anything he can. Great. I'm yep. doing the little okay sign with my yep. hand. <laughs> um but I honestly can't really think of any fantastic adaptations. Yeah. It seems like comic books almost always get changed drastically when they get brought to the big screen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a big part of that is how out there comic books are for just kind of your average person. Yeah. Just in terms of the, the types of stories. You have a point. Watchmen. Watchmen. It's Watchmen a great is, adaptation. Watchmen is a very faithful adaptation. Because um, because I think... Did I just say um? I don't say um very often, do I? I don't know. I don't think I do. Hmm. Uh, I say uh. There it is. Okay. <laughs> uh, oh, no, I do say um because I almost did and I held my lips open. <laughs> Fuck it, whatever. But, uh... Shit. Oh, yeah. No, I think with Watchmen, it attached enough to it. Uh-huh. It's like it's like a threshold. Like you get past kind of the, uh, the like the um, stretch point basically, where it's just like this feels very comic booky and campy. Mm-hmm. But like it's dark enough as it is, right? That it kind of pulls it back on its own, right? The comic is very comic booky, yeah. But doing it exactly, I think, in the way that they did it, worked really, really well. Yeah. It almost makes Zack Snyder a great director, except for the fact that he has, he just went straight from the source material. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's talented, but inconsistent in his execution. That's, let's, let's put those, that's a, there. that's a diplomatic way to put that, okay. I think. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so that's a really good adaptation that it's right. loyal entirely to, not, Not entirely. entirely. It it does make some changes, I think, for the sake of being more self-contained and less comic booky. Yeah. Um, and allowing for, I mean, like the as opposed to being an alien, it's an explosion, right? It yeah, it's it's based off. Remember. They try to make it look like Doctor Manhattan did it. Yeah. So like, but it's still really really close. Right. In all in a lot of senses, like they're straight up panels put straight to screen. Yeah. Like exactly. The, like when I'm reading it. When it, when you read it, there's a lot, especially at the very beginning with the comedian falling. Mm-hmm. It plays out exactly how you read it. Yeah, like a slow motion fall. Yeah, stuff like that. Like it, 
does a really good job. Yes. I think V for Vendetta is really accurate too. No. I haven't read it. Oh, it's no. not at all. It's not accurate. Oh, I haven't read it yet. It's it's so unfaithful it gets the core concepts wrong. Oh shit, really? <laughs> the story is reasonably accurate. Which one would you say is better? As a movie or as a book? Well, uh I think Watchmen for both. No, sorry, no, sorry. Uh which the comic or the movie of V for Vendetta? Oh, um, I'll take the comic. Okay. I didn't love the movie, actually. Oh, okay. I just thought it was, it was fine, but I, I like the comic. Yeah, okay. I like Alan Moore and everything he does. Yeah. Except for his whole, like, now I worship snake gods thing. Oh. What? He's kind of just crazy, as it turns out. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me one bit, actually. <laughs> you see the picture of the man? <laughs> oh, yes, I have. Yep, nope. Yeah, yeah. no, you're right. Doesn't yeah. surprise me at all. No. He's uh, a brilliant writer, but... What are other bad adaptations? Um, well, I mean, pretty much the entire MCU has been a complete bastardization of, like, every Marvel story yeah. involving those characters. Like, Civil War is not Civil War. Oh, God, no. Infinity like, War is not Infinity Gauntlet. Aren't they literally like, on different sides? There's, like, people on the wrong side and stuff? Yeah, kind of. I think it's because, from what I... This, I could be entirely wrong, and you can correct me on this, absolutely. But from what I remember... A lot of the characters that exist that they put in Civil War were on one side, mm-hmm. so they had kind of had to balance it out. I like, think so. X Men and Fantastic Four were on like one side or something, and they're like, "Oh shit, we're missing most of your team, <laughs> and you're missing like two people. Let's kind of like pull some people over." Yeah, <laughs> and then also, I mean, that makes more sense within the established continuity. Like, yeah, the character decisions do do make sense with who they right, are. Yeah, right. Um, the I, menu. The well, I wanted to make a couple more points. I answer okay. real quick. Um, I just wanted to say that, like, I think that the part of the reason that they're very different is that they kind of operated from the starting point of Iron Man, which was very much designed to be, okay, this is very real world. It's really like gritty and, uh, tries to be realistic when you Mm -hmm. go back and watch it. When you go back and try to watch it, it's surprising how grounded it is. And I think moving from that starting point forces them to adopt a more grounded tone and comic books, like, as I frequently say, comics are weird. Yeah, uh, and so I think by restraining themselves, they just force themselves to be different. Um, and I think, in general, that is a lot of times what comic book movies have to do is they have to restrain themselves because mm-hmm. comic books are just too out there and too weird yeah. for your average moviegoer. Yeah. Uh, speaking of grounded, uh, the menu is it kind of takes that grounded concept and extends it it very much becomes a gritty street level thing and i think that's kind of again partly an artifact of the universe it exists in they're like uh-huh. okay here we're in the mcu which is already uh everything's in space and flying right but still it's also like relatively grounded compared to the comic source material oh, yeah, so if yeah. we go down to street level superheroes like uh daredevil running around or jessica jones which hers is actually fairly faithful because hers was under a um uh not a vertica whatever the dc ver- marvel version of oh, Virgo oh was. it's not max is it uh, they do have the max line i don't max. know if she was under that uh, the, the equivalent of point yeah point is r rated she was alias and i think alias was a comic well alias was like her run oh her okay never yeah. mind uh She's she's more accurate, but someone like Daredevil, like yeah, he's he's reasonably comic booky in the comic books. Yeah, he, he's a little more grounded because he's just a normal human. He's got sonar echolocation, right? But with super senses, and those super senses are much more comic bookized mm-hmm. in the comic books, which yeah. makes sense. And so uh, they kind of have to make it much more grounded. Yeah. Um, 
I'm very interested to see because they're kind of loosely adapting uh, uh, Born Again yeah. for season three. So I'm really interested. Woo! <clears throat> been recording for a while. Yeah. It's been a while. I'm kind of interested to see how that goes. Uh, kind of an aside. But that's that's something that's very interesting where they take sort of the very loosest spirit of the character in three out of four cases and <laughs> find a way to fit that to something that makes sense within this sort of different self-contained universe boy so, matt what's that fourth one that fourth one man that luke cage they just made a mess of him <laughs> man no. fuck him yeah i i think they just grounded him because he was very out there like a black exploitation superhero yeah from the 70s and so yep. it kind of made sense to ground him and make him more realistic but at the same time there's it it is reasonably consistent with how the spirit of those comics should be interpreted in a modern way. Yeah. I think. No, the fourth one is Iron Fist, obviously, because uh... <laughs> I... the little I know about him, it's just so horribly wrong. Yeah. Like the fact that he's a pacifist in the comics, right? Approximately. Okay. I mean, they really hammer that home in Spectacular Spider-Man. Yeah, the like show. the the classic version of Iron Fist, sort of the true original comics Iron Fist, is very much the um, it one with his chi, the warrior monk character yeah. who he will fight for Kunlun, but he's also very peaceful doesn't want to instigate violence necessarily and then you got whiny little bitch danny rand you turned him into trust fund frat brat danny rand god damn it <laughs> he's going to fight everybody like he, yeah he literally like tried one time he's like hey can i go up i'm danny rand and they're yeah. like no it's like okay i'm gonna fucking fight all of your security the first <laughs> I actually really do like that first five minutes of the it's first It's a good season. fight scene, except for the yeah. fact that it doesn't make any sense. Like, why would he do that? Well, he's not even fighting them. He's just trying to get past them using basically okay, just, fair. like, stopping them. And it's interesting to see how they approach that. Like, it's it's very clear that he's not trying to hurt them. He's just trying to get around them. Yeah. Um, so I do I do like that scene. I think that's the truest interpretation of the Iron Fist character we've gotten on screen. As for the other 50 minutes of that episode and the 12 subsequent episodes after that and the 8 episodes of Defenders after that... Mm. <laughs> he's, bad, bad. he's whiny and belligerent and just not in control and grounding him for them it seemed like they didn't want to ground him so much as just change the character and in the comics he's at least worthy of the iron fist right yeah is that an actual t- is that like an actual thing in the comic where it's a title like the protector of kunlun is yes. iron fist okay yeah, that's a legit thing so he, and he's actually worth like worthy of it right in the show there's no goddamn way he's worthy of it right like, they yeah. can have someone so much better. It seems like it was just, like, they found this kid and was like, hey, let's beat him with some sticks and then throw him in a cave with right. a dragon. And in- he just happened to get lucky. Interestingly, <laughs> despite the fact that they completely changed the actual character of Iron Fist, a lot of the details are pretty accurate to the comics. Really? Yeah. Oh, damn Just, it. like, the general story. Um, they change some of the, like, actual details of how things are executed, but, um... And also the fact that, like, Meacham's son is his brother or whatever. Didn't that happen? Like, their family, the relations, relationships between the Meachams are different in the comics? Um, I think it may depend on the, the version. Oh, um, God. They changed that version to version? 
virgin to virgin. <laughs> I I don't actually know off the top of my head. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure I researched that. I'm pretty yeah. sure. But I I do know that a very consistent part of it is that uh, Harold Meacham, the father, does kill the um, the Rand family. Gotcha. Just try to kill them. Uh, and so he comes back motivated for revenge. Um, so, like, there is that sort of anger to him. But, again, like, he is a sort of a stoic warrior monk. That is who he is on his face. And so I love that – when I say I love, I hate that grounding him meant changing that character into a belligerent guy and then putting him in business situations that feel just completely artificial. Yeah. It just It's a bad show, guys. Yep. In case you ever want to know what our opinion on Iron Fist is. Mm-hmm. Just in case you were wondering. Alright. Well, uh, well we've I talked think a lot about adaptations. We've talked a lot about stuff. I didn't even bring up the movie adaptation, which I just watched specifically for this. Oh. I might mention it for a couple minutes here. It's, okay. It's a, it's a really weird movie. So, let me tell you the backstory of a movie first. So, in the early aughts, or probably even before that, late 90s, I guess, a pretty high-profile screenwriter named Charlie Kaufman was tasked with adopting, uh, adapting, adopting, adopting. he's going to adopt this book, and it was going to be his child, child. he was going to raise it as his own, and love it, and cherish it, and turn it into a screenplay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, so yeah, he was going to adapt The Orchid Thief, or Thieves, don't actually remember. One of the two, uh, for the screen, and he read the book and loved the book, but found that it was really tough to adapt because it wasn't a coherent story necessarily. Mm-hmm. It was, um, it was written by a journalist and sort of her reflections on this character, and there's a lot of side tangents and stuff, and it's not a very adaptable book. Yeah, and so the screenwriter. He's getting a severe case of writer's block and he's getting really frustrated because he wants to stay true to the spirit of the book. He doesn't want to give it like an artificial, uh, turn it into an orchid heist. That's one of the lines from the movie or <laughs> sex it up or anything. He just, he wants to tell the story of the book authentically because he loved it, but it's so unfilmable the way it is. Huh. And so what he does is he starts like kind of going crazy and writing himself into the screenplay, like writing the screenplay about him trying to write an adaptation of this. Interesting. And like he writes himself a a crazy twin brother and he's like he ended up finishing this version and he's like well no one's gonna go for this i'm gonna get fired but the director spike jones who also directed uh being john malkovich and her among other Mm -hmm. great movies uh he really loved it and he's like okay we're gonna make this (laughs) and so it's the movie about making a a movie about about making a a movie (laughs) but like it's the guy actually making the movie. So, like, the very end is him voiceover describing what he's doing in that scene and, like, writing, d- describing in voiceover writing that scene. Oh, my God. And then, like, stopping to interrupt himself and be like, no, voiceover's dumb. Like, no, voiceover is what we need here. And it's, I should point out, by the way, the screenwriter's played by Nicolas Cage. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> that seems very logical. Of course. Uh, and it's, it's actually jam-packed with great actors. It's got a couple of the old men from Bourne. Um, it's got Meryl Streep. Uh, it's got a young Judy Greer and uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal running around. Um, Rachel! <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, it's really good. And it's it's kind of interesting, I think, sort of that core question, like, 
Okay. How was she the first I... or the second, Rachel? Second. Okay. Katie Holmes was the first. Right. It's kind of, it, it does toy with that interesting question of like, okay, books and movies are very different. Like, how do you even adapt them? Mm-hmm. And hopefully we answered that question here today. Yep. We really didn't. We didn't. We just kind of BS'd about adaptation for a while. Oh, yeah. Shall we? We probably better shall. Yeah. yeah. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh, you can find us on SoundCloud or iTunes. You probably found us on one or both of those mediums, and that's how you're listening to us at this very moment. Yep. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter at Justice Losers Pod. We're also on Instagram with that same handle. Uh, we've also got a Gmail, JusticeLosersPod at gmail.com, in case you want to email in an extended essay about adaptation and why it's your favorite movie of all time. It's actually really good. I will say that. Okay. It won a few Oscars, I think. And. It's like legitimately a really enjoyable movie. Hmm. Um, uh, you can also find us in real life walking around. I think I've run out of things to say where we already are, so I was kind of spit more. We are on there. this dimension. We are on the third dimension. This is this is true. If you were to watch the fourth, if you were to view the fourth dimension, you would see all time happening at the same time. We like normal third dimension human things we like to drink water and walk using our human legs if you were on the fifth dimension then you would see all different kinds of times all different mm-hmm. variations of your time anyway i'm done with this okay all uh, right <laughs> thanks guys bye bye bye